Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. While you're turning there, I did a little exercise this week, and I looked back at the last 10 years in what I had preached on different Easter Sundays here and back in California, and uh, was so blessed to see the texts that came up on my, my sermon catalog for the, the things that had drawn my attention on Easter Sunday. And this is one that I honestly had never really paid much attention to in terms of study and certainly hadn't, hadn't preached on it. I also discovered that I think we're going to be okay for a few more hundred years if the Lord gives me that long to live in not exhausting texts. That was a joke. Not the text, the hundred years part. I want to set our time up of study just by rehearsing the facts that you're well aware of in Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 to 10. I know it's impossible, but try to hear these words fresh. Maybe not as if the first time ever, but as if the first time in a very long time. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said, come. See the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up, took hold of his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and Take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see 
me. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central proof of the truthfulness of the Christian faith. Said another way, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, there is no reason to believe that Christianity is true. Earlier we read 1 Corinthians 15. Let me remind you of what Paul said. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. If Christ has not been risen, then our preaching is vain and your faith is also in vain. I remember hearing one of my heroes, R.C. Sproul, preach a sermon one time. And he said something that was so shocking, you could hear gasps and everyone look up in the room as soon as he said it. He said to a large audience, never be mistaken in thinking that the death of Jesus was sufficient for the payment of your sins. And you heard everybody say, is this heresy? And then he read 1 Corinthians 15, 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. He's right. The death of Christ did indeed pay for the sins of those who have believed, but without the resurrection, there would have been no verification or proof of such a payment. Now, because of the facticity of Jesus' resurrection and the provability of it is so important, it makes sense that the devil and the enemies of Christianity would spend no shortage of time trying to debunk and undermine and ridicule and disprove the resurrection. You may know some of these. There are dozens, literally dozens of ideas that would dis disprove the resurrection. I just picked out a few with which you may be familiar. There's the, the swoon theory. I love the way they say it. The swoon theory or the, the resuscitation theory. In this theory, Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He just got really beat up really bad. And because of that, when the disciples saw Jesus, it was a, a resuscitated Jesus, a healthy Jesus, a restored Jesus. Yes, Jesus was nailed to a cross and he suffered shock and pain and loss of blood, which would have made him woozy and swoon, have a low heartbeat. The Romans would have mistaken his low heartbeat for death and allowed him to be buried. But when he got into the grave... The coolness of the grave and the efficacy of the spices worked on his body, healed his wounds, and brought him back to health. The problem was, it wasn't a cool grave. It was a freezing grave. And if he had been in shock, that kind of temperature would have worked against him, not for him. How do we know it was freezing? Because just a few nights earlier, Peter is warming himself by the fire. It's cold. I think the swoon theory might, might actually require greater faith than the resurrection. Then there's the hallucination theory. You heard of this one? This is even more bizarre. The theory suggests that all of Christ's post-resurrection appearances were really dreamed up appearances by those who saw the hallucination. Mass hallucinations individualized over the distance of 100 miles. 
How could so many people who hallucinate the exact same thing from Jerusalem to Galilee and all along the way and then corroborate that? It's, that's just silly. One of my, can I say favorites, even though it's not a favorite, is the impersonation theory. This is the view that the appearances were not really Christ at all, but someone who looked a lot like him and impersonated him. Now, whoever this impersonator must have been was pretty brave to put holes in his feet and hands and a spear into his side. And uh, three days after the crucifixion, to have none of those wounds wounds be infected or anything, it was ridiculous. And do you not think the disciples who spent three and a half years with Jesus would not have recognized an imposter? Ridiculous. Now those are silly and we almost laugh at them, but they were far from the first. Only hours after that Sunday morning when Jesus rose from the dead, there was the first attempt to undermine the resurrection. It wasn't actually an attempt to deny it as much as it was an attempt to cover it up. This has been called the theft. Theft. It's really good English, the thief. I went to Tennessee, so give me some grace. Are you laughing with me or are you laughing at me? The theft theory. And to understand the theft theory, we have to actually go to the pages of Matthew. The theft theory is recorded by Matthew. He finishes his gospel, concludes with the account of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead after his crucifixion. But the big question that Matthew would have purported is, how can you prove it? Jesus rose from the dead. Prove it, Matthew. He understands that. So he begins to do so by showing the theft theory, the great attempt to cover up the resurrection. And we find this in verse 11 of Matthew 28. Now, while they were on their way, some of the guard, so understand this, this is the women who went away and there's this, this, event that happens that included an angel and Jesus leaving and guards who were there and women who were there. Well, some of those guards, this would have been a garrison of 12 men, 12 guards. Some of the 12, 12 guards, came into the city and reported to the chief priests, drum roll, All that happened. We just read a few minutes ago that the guards saw the angel. They felt the earthquake. How much did they see? We don't know because they fell down on the ground terrified and probably had their faces buried in the dirt. But they certainly saw the angel and they felt the earthquake and no doubt they had gone to peek in the tomb for which they were responsible and lo and behold, nobody a problem. So they run to the chief priests who had hired them. These were the enemies of Jesus and they reported all that had happened. What had happened? Well, 
In order to understand this, you gotta rewind the tape just a little bit. Look back over across the page at Matthew 27. Let's, let's go back right after the crucifixion and see exactly what happened. Matthew 27, verse 57. When it was evening, there came a rich man, this is Friday evening, from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. There's a lot we can say here. Pilate had jurisdiction over there. Pilate could have said okay. Pilate could have said no. Pilate could have thrown him in the little, literal, the, the, the rubbish heap to have him, his body burned like a common criminal. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to Joseph. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, laid it in his own new tomb, which he had carved out, hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the grave. Now, on the next day, after the preparation, we're talking about Sabbath, after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate. Now, this term gathered together, we're going to find again in our text in Matthew 28. That, that, this verb has the indication of an official meeting, probably of the Sanhedrin, 70 men. When the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate, they said, Sir... They had been listening. We remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I am to rise again. This is impressive to me. We don't have time to track this down. The disciples had trouble believing and remembering that. Not his enemies. They heard very carefully. Therefore, this is their concoction. Give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, this was their fear, the disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead and the last deception will be worse than the first. So Pilate says to them, Okay, you have 12 men, you have a guard, you have a garrison, you have these 12 soldiers. You have a guard. Go, make it as secure as you know. He entrusted his soldiers to the chief priest to go and make sure that the tomb was sealed. Verse 66 says, they went and made the grave secure along with a guard, they set a seal on the stone. There were a lot of ways that they would put a seal on that. Sometimes they would chain the stone to the, the, um, uh, the rock face where it was. They could uh, uh, melt large amounts of wax in between the stone and the, the, um, the, the grave facing there. All to say, if it had been broken, they would have seen. Now fast forward across the page to verse 2 of 28. Listen to it again. A severe earthquake had occurred. An angel of the Lord descended from heaven with seemingly no regard for the Roman seal and rolled away the stone, and I love this, and sat upon it. It's just, there's a charm there. He rolls it away. There's a massive earthquake. 
And he just sits on the stone. Waiting for a response. There was one. The guards who fell in fear, we see, they shook because of fear of him. Fear of him. They were afraid of the angel. Became like dead men. Then they run off to make this report. The women and the angel have a conversation. To be a Roman soldier was to understand a few things. If, first, if you were ever caught lying, you could be executed. To lie to an official was to be accused of Roman treason and you could be executed on the spot once the lie was found out. Second, if you were in charge of a prisoner who escaped, you also could be executed. Remember the, the guards for Paul? They were afraid they would be killed. And Paul says, look, I'm not, not leaving. This is an odd situation where the person they were guarding was dead. <laughs> not a lot of people guard dead people. I'm sure the, the, these Roman guards who had no faith at all that this man would rise from the dead looked at each other and said, man, this is easy money. We, this is the easiest prisoner we've ever guarded in our life because he's dead. All we have to do is not guard the prisoner. We have to guard others from coming to steal the dead body. That was their assignment. The threat to them was outside the tomb, not knowing that the real power was inside the tomb. They felt the earthquake, saw the angel, saw the stone rolled away, no doubt saw the angel sitting there, probably peering past him to see the grave was empty. So they come and give a report to the men who hired them to guard the tomb. And what would happen next? Verse 12. When they had assembled, this is our same verb again, when they had official Sanhedrin meeting, about 70 men, and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. Why? Next verse. We're paying you, so you will say this. You are to say, here is your story and your alibi. Here's your, your narrative. His disciples, indeed, they came by night and they stole him away while we were crashed, asleep. And before they can go on, because they're, they're thinking, wait a minute, if the governor, if Pilate hears that we were asleep on watch, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. Chief priest knew that, so they said, and if it should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. We knew, he knew they would be in a massive amount of trouble if discovered to be asleep on watch. Now, can I ask a very simple question? I, I'm not a smart man. 
If they were asleep, how could they know who stole the body? Is that not a problem? I mean, wouldn't people say, what happened, uh, um, soldier so-and-so? Well, I was asleep. I fell asleep on my watch, and, and the disciples came and stole him away. How do you know it was the disciples? I know. It was the disciples. How do you know? No answer. It's a ridiculous plot. Now, in fairness to these, these chief freaks, they didn't have a lot of time to do a lot of plotting. I mean, I'm sure that they were making this alibi up on the fly. But why would you pay someone to provide an alibi or a false alibi? Why would you bribe someone to cover up something that happened unless you believed that it did? They didn't say, tell people that you know the disciples. Tell them that you were asleep and this is what you believe happened. You know, one of the great mysteries to me is do we, I wonder what the chief priests really thought. My suspicion is they, they probably knew that Jesus rose from the dead. Remember what they had said just a few days earlier? Hurling at these same men, hurling abuse at him on the cross. If you are the Christ, you come down, and if you come down from the cross, if you rescue yourself, we will what? Believe. How do we know that's not true? Well, now he's risen from the grave and they still don't believe. These Jewish leaders say they will vouch personally for the integrity of the guards, for their weariness. In their minds, this is the only story that could work because they have to explain a missing body. It's obvious that the Jews didn't take the body, by the way. They, they wanted it left there, and that why, that's why they were quite happy for it to be sealed. These leaders understood that the Romans had no reason to take it. So they had only one possibility left, and that was to put the blame on the disciples or believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Verse 15, they took the money, just think about that, this is a large sum of money, I wonder what their other Roman soldiers thought, these guys just hit the lottery, they, they're buying new cars and watches and I guess new candles and new sandals, Why you have, where'd you get that money, where did that money come from? How do they even explain this? Well, we, were, we had a good gig at the grave. Didn't work out so well. Disciples sleeping, but we got paid a lot. Can you see where this would raise enormous suspicion in everyone's mind? They took the money and did as they had been instructed. And I love, I love what Matthew says here. And this story, this narrative was widely spread among the Jews, and this is 30 years after the event. So it is to this day. They're still saying, you know, the guys slept, and the disciples came, and 
That's what happened to Jesus' body. Here's a question. One of the most charming parts of the story in, in John's gospel, he says that when, when they, they came to look, Peter came to look into the grave, he saw all of the linens and the head roll, the, the, the sheets that Jesus had been wrapped in, folded up, rolled up, and placed nicely and neatly in the grave. If you were going to steal a body, a dead body, wrapped up, who would unwrap it, fold up the linens, put them in the corner, and tidy up the area before you left? Can you imagine a burglar coming in and saying, well, I want to take the TV, but i got to make sure everything's dusted before I leave. It's ridiculous. It's absurd. The idea that the disciples stole the body was not a sustainable proposition. You know why? Because the disciples themselves did not have faith in the resurrection. How do we know that? Remember Thomas? Remember they were in the room and Jesus didn't use the door? The literal, historical resurrection of Jesus Christ provides countless implications. You you do understand, some of us are so familiar with the the resurrection event that we forget how, how absurd and ridiculous that would sound. I mean, to try to contextualize it a second, and and I'm not trying to be irreverent to anyone who has lost a family member or loved one, but let me use myself as an example. Can you imagine me after I went back to Chattanooga many years ago and preached both my mother and my father's funeral, that a few days after that, I called everybody up and said, hey, mom's back. Come over, we're gonna have a meal with her. Isn't that almost... Nails on a chalkboard? Who says that? Hey, Mary, go tell my brothers I'm alive and I'll meet them up north in Galilee. Were they anticipating meeting him? Did they really believe this? Well, We know that they went back and just started fishing. I wonder if their faith was, had their faith been in a more, uh, in a better place, if they would have been on the road watching for who's walking down the road. He said he's coming. He said he's coming. I just went back fishing. And his gracious introduction to these men warms the heart and satisfies our curiosity and ennobles our faith. So what that Jesus rose from the dead? It's interesting that the attempt to disprove by the theft theory, the resurrection of Jesus actually proved it. You don't cover up something that didn't happen. 
So what does Jesus' resurrection mean for you? What does it mean for me? What does it mean in this year on this day? Well, first of all, the scriptures tell us that it enables salvation for those who believe. Romans 1, Romans 4 talk about how attached the resurrection is to our salvation. Because he has risen from the dead, Paul told the Ephesians, Paul told the Romans that 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 power enables a dead spiritual life to come to faith and trust in who he is. Secondly, Paul says in Romans 6, 7, and 8 that the resurrection provides the believer power to resist and conquer sin. (laughs) We have never an excuse to sin when Paul says that the power that was that was evident that raised Jesus from the grave is the same accessible power you and I have to say no to temptation. Writer of the Hebrews says that it's the hope for our greatest fear, and that's death. The writer tells the Hebrews that everyone is a slave to the fear of death all their days. But through the gospel, God delivers us from that fear. I have a confession. I I grew up with a, I I hope this is most everybody, a horrific fear of dying. I just, I think I was insecure in my salvation. I grew up in a church that basically said, you better do well or you might lose your salvation. And my theology was really messed up. Anyway, I was terrified of death I was terrified of the Lord's return. I grew up in the 70s where we saw rapture movies that scared me to death. I remember laying in my bed and hearing thunder and saying, that's gotta be him. Do I hide under the bed or do I run and say, hey, I'm here. I I didn't wanna be left behind. (laughs) I was terrified. The resurrection of Jesus, according to 1 Corinthians 15, gives us hope that he will raise us with him. Death has no victory or sting. You know, I also think probably the most precious implication for me that Jesus is alive is that we think about this. We're able to have a relationship with him because he's alive. It would make no sense to have a living and vital relationship with someone who's dead. Every time the New Testament talks of Jesus after the Gospels, it's always that he's alive. Paul says, oh, that I may know him. He didn't say, oh, I wish I knew him when he was alive. You can't long to know someone who's dead. Revelation chapter one, Jesus says to John, I was dead and now I'm alive forevermore. Verses 17 and 18 of the first chapter. I was dead and now I'm alive. Listen, if Jesus of Nazareth truly died, was verified in his burial 
and came back to life and is alive now, that is the biggest game-changing event in the history of the world. Earlier we read, I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, in other words, he was proven to be dead, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. You don't cover up a lie. You don't cover up something that didn't happen unless you have ulterior motives. They did. The question in my heart is not do we join those chief priests in trying to deny the resurrection. My challenge to my own heart is do I, in a very real and spiritual way, deny it by not accessing its power, by not dwelling on its reality, by not proclaiming it, you want a great way to get into a witnessing conversation? Just start it. Instead of God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, how about going up to someone and saying, I know someone who was dead and they came back to life. You will have their attention very quickly. By the way, <laughs> Paul was on trial for his faith four times in the book of Acts. Every time he was on trial, it was for preaching and teaching the resurrection of Jesus. Which meant that every time he shared the gospel, it included the fact that Jesus was not only executed for sins, but he said he was raised for our forgiveness. It's a good Sunday, Easter Sunday. Can I... Can I just ask just for a moment's reflection? Is this a fairy tale to you? Is this mythology? Is this flannel graph material for the children's Sunday school? Do you really believe that Jesus is alive? If, if we do believe that that Nazarene rose from the grave, it ought to be the most influential event in your life. It supplies the greatest supply for your sanctification. It supplies the only hope for the inevitability of your funeral. If you read the book of Acts, Jesus' resurrection is talked about far more than his cross. It doesn't undermine the cross. It completes the salvation narrative. So today, hopefully, you're going to have an afternoon to talk, interact with your family. We sang all these songs about the living, resurrected Savior. If he's alive, he is somewhere right now. His body, his physical body is somewhere right now. I don't know if you go to Pluto, take three light years to the right. I don't, I don't know where, but he didn't just dissolve. He will come, Acts chapter 1, in the same way as he left. They saw him in his body, his glorified body, leave in the clouds, and he will come back the same way. He is alive, and that changes everything.
If you want to know what it means to be forgiven of your sins because of his death and his resurrection, please, please don't leave this building today without talking to me, talking to someone in our prayer room. This is eternally important. Let me pray. Oh, Father, I am refreshed again in amazement. I just wish I could have seen it. And yet you've given us eyes to perceive through your word, a heart to embrace by faith and and the hope that one day we will we will grasp your nail-pierced hands because you're alive. Generate worship in our hearts because we believe this to be true. Make it a part of our witnessing and our gospel presentation. Make it a part of our fight against sin and our prayer life to empower us with that same power that took a body that should have been in rigor mortis, tattered and shattered by the abuse of his passion and raised him in newness of life. Father, by that power, Grant us new repentance. I'm grateful for these friends, these brothers and sisters who've gathered together to worship today. Please continue our worship throughout the day. May this be a a domino that just spills over in turning over more expressions of seeing the greatness and wonder of the gospel. And we pray this because Jesus is alive. Amen.